Welcome to the BC Podcast, featuring a weekly message from Believer's Church in Warren, Ohio. For more information, visit www.believers.cc. Hey, good to be here tonight, Believers. Thanks for, uh, for coming out. You excited to be in church tonight? Good, good. Well, I'm excited that you're here because it's always awkward when you preach to a room full of nobody. So, so glad that you all are here tonight. You look good. Um, it's, it's really a huge honor of mine to be here. Um, of course, I come from Faith Human Church in Canton, and some of you are probably familiar. Uh, my senior pastor is uh, the younger brother of your senior pastor. And so this is definitely um, an extension of our family and feels very comfortable to be in this place because there's so many friends Ryan and his beautiful wife, Kristen, married for three months. So if you need any marriage advice, um, they'll help you out. And uh, we got so many great friends here, Joe Jr. and Aaron and, and Steve with the bald head and the beard on the video announcements. Amazing. And Matt, good connecting with you, my man. And, and of course, Pastor Joe and Gina. Um, I just met Gina for the very first time uh, right now, about 10 minutes ago. Um, and she introduced herself as if I wouldn't know who she is. Um, but I've been watching you guys for the last 10 years. Uh, which is how long I've known about you, because that's how long I've been a faith family. And uh, anybody who's been pastoring a church for three plus decades um, is pretty amazing. And, uh, and so I genuinely mean what I say, um, that uh, to be able to stand on a stage of a, a platform rather that's been built over three decades is an extremely humbling thing. And so I don't take that lightly. And, um, and I came tonight um, with something that I feel really passionate about. And so I hope that, uh, hope that you're ready to receive. And it's something that I actually shared with my church family um, back in December. And, um, and so I just felt that it was appropriate to share with the extension of our, of our church family as well here in Warren at Believers Church. I'm thrilled to be here. My wife, everywhere that I go, she always says, she always reminds me rather to say hello to everyone, to send her love. Um, I've got an amazing wife. Uh, we just celebrated 10 years of marriage in October um, this past fall. And uh, so she's incredible. In fact, we got a picture. Oh, yeah, that's us. And our son, Judah, and our daughter, Sophia. And that's like just the perfect picture. Um, so go ahead and show the next one so you realize that I'm not a perfect family. But um, um, shortly before that picture was taken, Judah was screaming, crying. And so, so um, my, my, my daughter, Sophia, is the life of our family. She's incredible. Um, she loves Jesus so much, and Judah does not, and so we're working on him. So pray for me, church. Um, no, they're, they're amazing. Hey, I want to I wanna talk tonight. I know this is first Wednesday. It's a school night, and so I want to just kind of jump into this thing. Uh, I want to I talk to you guys tonight, um, really just from, from one chapter, 15th chapter in the Gospel of Luke, and we're really just going to highlight uh, the first two verses, just, just verse one and two, and and um, we're going to give context to the rest of the chapter, but verses 1 and 2 is we're really just going to bring out some, some key points. And I want to I highlight for you all four things that I think are just imperative that, that we kind of wrestle with the tension that these four things I want to present to you all tonight um, would kind of present to our own personal lives and really to our, to our church family. But before we do that, before we get into our message, um, let's pray. Is that okay? Can we pray? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity that we have to come together as a church on first Wednesday. God, we're so thrilled to be here. God, we love you, and we love you just first and foremost because you first loved us, and we will 
uh, refuse to ever forget that. And God, we just ask that you would help us through the power of your spirit uh, respond to that love every day of our lives. God, make up the distance by your grace through what I would humanly say and what you need spoken to everybody in this place this evening. And God, you said that where two people come together in agreement touching anything, that it would be done for them. And so we agree tonight um, that you would just help the Cleveland Cavaliers get out of this slump and bring a second championship to the blessed city of Cleveland in Northeast Ohio. In Jesus' name, everybody agree said? Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining your faith with mine. I appreciate it. I want to talk tonight from a message entitled, More Like Jesus. More Like Jesus. I believe there's probably, to a certain degree, um, a common theme within everybody in this room. Maybe you found yourself here tonight. And, uh, and you don't know much about, about Jesus. Maybe you're newer to this whole church thing. And, and we're so thrilled. I mean, we are honored that you, you are here. We'd hope that you'd come out this Saturday night at 5 o'clock or Sunday morning for, for our normal weekly worship experiences here at, at Believers. I say we because I just kind of consider myself to be a part of this family at this point. And, and uh, please come back out. And one of the things that I have no doubt is core to this church is the idea that you don't have to believe everything that we believe in order to belong a part of this family. So come on back out. But, but I would imagine that, that most folks in here, it's Wednesday night. Uh, it's a school night. Uh, it's the first Wednesday of the month. Uh, most of y'all would probably say, you know, I kind of I kind of want to be more like, more like Jesus. It's within all of us, it's, there's this, there is this desire that we have that, that, that we hope that we're on this, this progressive path of sorts, this journey of faith to become more like more like Jesus. In Luke chapter 15, verse 1, um, we, find, we find what is undoubtedly one of, the, one of the most challenging and transformative chapters, chapter 15 of the book of Luke, in all of the Gospels. In Luke 15, verse 1, it begins by saying, Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear him. Everybody say all. All. To hear from Jesus. Now the tax collectors... And sinners. This is just kind of a blanket statement, really, that Luke provides for us that really is just is saying, look, all of the quote-unquote bad people are gathering around to hear from the good Jesus. And people are taking notice of this. Everywhere that Jesus went, crowds just seemed to follow. This is before Instagram. This is before Facebook. This is before emails and HTML emails. I mean, people didn't know, but people just heard Jesus is, is coming. Next thing you know, there's a crowd full, and in this case, of bad people. Now, now these are people, just for context's sake, that you and I probably wouldn't want our kids hanging out with, okay? These are folks that we wouldn't even want to associate with ourselves. These are people who we would look at and we'd say, man, I I know where you were last night. I, I know what you've been doing. I know where you've been going. I know who you've been hanging out with. I know what you believe. I, I know who you voted for. Come on. He goes on in verse 2 and he says, But the Pharisees and the, and the teachers of the law, the religious leaders of the day, the pastors, the teachers, so to speak, they said, Hey, this, this man, this man, he, he welcomes sinners and he eats with them. Huh. And now they're not saying this like patting Jesus on the back for it. Look at Jesus. All loving and kind and accepting and welcoming. It's just eating with sinners. Boy, oh boy. He's a good, he's a good, he's a good guy. 
no, no, they're, they're like, why is he eating with those people who don't come to our synagogues, don't listen to our messages, don't do what we tell them to do, don't give to the areas that we want them to give to? Why is Jesus hanging out with people? Why is he building and having community and building a church with those with those bad people over, over there. I heard, a, I heard a preacher say this one time, and I've never forgotten it. He said, people who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus. And Jesus liked people who were nothing like him. Think about that for, for, just, for just a moment. Because the reality of that truth ought to force us to get slightly uncomfortable. People who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus. Jesus liked people who were nothing like him. We love the idea that Jesus is all loving, all merciful, full of grace, full of truth, always welcoming, always accepting. We love this until we are forced to play it out ourselves. Come on. Like, I, I think about the idea that, that Jesus welcomes these these quote-unquote bad people, and, and the idea of that seems great, and even preaching that is lots of fun, and hearing messages on it is really encouraging until we have to apply that to our own lives. I, I, I came to this, this realization really back in December, if I can be completely honest and transparent with you, rather November, I should say, where I began to kind of just take um, analysis of the last 10 years of my life. I've now been working at my church back in Canton for the last 10 years, been in, involved in a lot of really great things and got to see God do some, some really incredible things. And, and just this past fall was, was this 10-year anniversary of sorts of me moving from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, marrying my wife and, and planning in Canton, Ohio to be a part of Faith Family Church. And over the course of 10 years, I just got to this point where I thought 10 years is a monumental, it's, a, it's, a, it's kind of a milestone of sorts. And I realized that for, for some of y'all, 10 years might not be a big deal, but for me in this moment, this past fall, I just began to reflect kind of on what I had the privilege of being part of, the things that I was so honored to have been a part of in the areas of my own personal life that I needed to take inventory in. And as I'm kind of going through this process, it, it dawned on me. I was reading Luke 15 one morning, and, and it just... It just messed me up in a way that I, I, I can't remember in recent history reading the scriptures has messed me up. I, I realized I'm not sure that I, I'm not sure that I'm becoming more like Jesus. I started to kind of reflect in the last 10 years and I, I came to this understanding that I, I, I undoubtedly have become more familiar and more comfortable with the patterns of, of religiosity. I, I've, I've undoubtedly become more accustomed to, to, to the first world, Western culture way of thinking and doing and living out the Christian faith. Those things I've become okay with. I, I've even become more fluent in Christianese and how to kind of walk the walk and talk the talk and, and even preach in, in, in whatever you know, sort of context modern preachers are preaching in today. I've become more comfortable, more accustomed, more familiar with these things, but becoming more like Jesus? I, I don't know. You know, when I was younger, I had a, an experience that, that I'm sure many of you are, are, are familiar with. Something similar that we kind of all 
gone through. It's, it's, the, it's this idea that when we're maybe in like grade school, elementary age, we begin to dream about what we want to do when we grow up, right? Like first grade, second grade, I wanted to be a, I wanted to be a baseball player. At a certain point, I realized I just wanted to be Mickey Mantle. Like I no longer want to be a baseball player. I wanted to be Mickey Mantle. That's like reincarnation. I don't know what my parents were teaching me, but that's what I wanted to be, right? Then, then I, I moved on from that. And I decided I want to be a wrestler, like a WWF wrestler. Back in the days of like Hulk Hogan and, and Randy Jackson, like this is who I wanted to be. Like these were, my, these were my, I had a wrestling buddy until one day I came to school and one of my friends who actually was a wrestler, he had like this busted up nose and a black and blue eye. And I was like, hey, Travis, what, ha- what happened, man? Like why is, um, and I had wrestling practice last night. At which point I decided I do not want to be a wrestler, right? Like, I like my nose. It's, it's good, just the way it is. And, and then at a certain point, then I kind of I matured and I got to third grade. And I find myself at Bob Evans' restaurant after church one Sunday afternoon. And there with my family and, and my grandma, my grandpa. My grandpa is like a legend of sorts in my family. Just passed away a few short months ago. And, 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 and he's very matter-of-fact, though, extremely black, and white. He looks at me in the foyer of Bob Evans, and, and we're waiting for our table, and he says, hey, son, what do you want to be when you grow up? And, you know, I thought, I want to make my grandpa proud. Well, all of his grandkids were kind of always vying for our grandpa's attention and, and for his pride and, and for his gifts. And so, so, so I want to make my grandpa proud. And he has started a family business over 60 years ago now, and all my aunts and uncles and cousins, everybody's kind of involved with it. And it's not Smucker's Jelly, by the way, in case you're wondering. And I told this story at our church and somebody was like, so your, your grandpa started Smucker's Jelly. I'm like, in fact, yes, I can give you a ride on our private jet all the way to Orville. We can tour the plane ourselves if you'd like, you know? And, and no, so, so I said, grandpa, you know, I want to take over the family business and I want to be a preacher. My grandpa loves church and he loves the business. I just won the, the apple of my grandpa's eye. And he looks at me, real matter of fact, real black and white, and he says, son, choose one. You can only do one. And he walks away. At which point, I'm like disappointed. I'm like, I'm like hurt. I'm like, grandpa, you, I look at my dad. I'm like, dad, is it true? He's like, oh, Jordan, let's, let's go eat some pancakes, bud. You know, and obviously at a certain point in my life, I chose the parent direction and kind of went the preacher route. And and it's funny, though, because for the last 10 years, I've carried so many different hats um, at my church back home and had different titles and different things that I've been able to be a part of. And for different reasons, people would come to me and ask for whatever it is that they might need. And, and at a certain point, I just kind of realized, you know, the, the only thing that, the only title that, that, that I really, really care about, honest to God, at this point in my life, is, is the title of dad. Like, you know, as parents, you can undoubtedly relate with me. Like, I, 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 want, I want desperately to be a good leader and a, and a good pastor, but, but even way more than that, I, I want, I want to be a great, I want to be a great dad. I've got two incredible kids, and of course, they're still really young, which is why I chose not to speak on parenting tonight, but, but, but my, uh, my daughter, she's, she's amazing. I, 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 she's, she's literally my princess. Like, she's everything to me, and she knows it, and and she, um, she is, uh, she's in public school, and her days are pretty regimented. You know, they, they pretty much control where she sits at in the classroom, who she sits by, the, the projects that she's involved with, and who she gets to do those projects 
with. And, and so, so naturally, I, I choose to ask my daughter the same two questions every day. The two questions that I think are the most important questions that she needs to answer every single day. I, I say, okay, Sophia, you know, you, you don't have much control about who you hang out with during the day, but who'd you eat lunch with today? And who'd you play with at recess? I ask her those questions at least four out of five days a week. I want to know when she has complete autonomy and control over who she's hanging out with, who is she hanging out with? I, I, I want to know. And, and then, of course, my wife and I, we kind of secretly and manipulatively pay attention to the names, meet the parents, kind of figure out, is this like, is this a good situation? Is this, is this not? Come on, parents, you know exactly. Some of you are like shaking your heads like, oh, I know, I know, you know? And, and so, so every single day I ask her this question, and I'm taking her to school. This is back in November, and we're driving there, and, and this is kind of usually our time, and I try to take her to school as frequently as I can. And It's just that 15-minute drive where we just get to kind of connect. It's just her and, and me, and so I'm asking her, Sophie, yesterday, who'd you, who'd you eat lunch with? Who'd you, who'd you play with at, at recess? And before she could even answer that question, I just felt impressed, like, like God began to speak to me. You know what I'm saying? Like, you just felt kind of on the inside, like you just sensed that he was talking to you. And I, and I heard him say, Jordan, why, why do you ask her that question? And I began to have this conversation with God in my head as my, as my daughter's having a conversation with me in the back seat. And, and I said, well, God, you, you know, you know why. I mean, because, I mean, God, like, show me your friends. I'll show you your future. Like, I want to make sure that her relationships are being shaped and formed and modeled by the, by the right people, right? Like, yeah, like this, is, this is a good thing. God, like, really? Like, it's just, it's your daughter. I'm just stewarding her for this season of her life and just kind of doing what you've asked me to do, God. Like, I'm a good dad. And he asked me again, Jordan, no, 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 really. Why do you, why do you ask that question? A couple weeks go by and I, I could not escape it. I, I could not come to an answer that seemed to suffice and give me peace. And, and I just eventually asked the Lord, okay, God, obviously I'm the dumb one here, right? Like, like what, why, why, why are you asking me this? What, why do I ask her this question? And he said, Jordan, you ask her this question because you want her to hang around people whose parents believe the same things you believe, socially kind of think on the same level that you think, spiritually behave in a similar manner to the way that you behave, um, politically maybe kind of go in the same vein that you would go in. You want people to hang around your kids who are just like your kids. And I thought, well, that's not a bad thing, right? Like, I, I need to protect my daughter, right? Of course it's not a, not a bad thing. And it begins to kind of dawn on me, though. Every single night, since my daughter was born, I've been praying the same prayers. One of them being that God would, would raise my son and my daughter to be leaders among their generation and that they would be a light to a dark and dying world. And it dawned on me. The very prayer that I pray and I ask God to answer on my behalf for my kids is building a wall and hindering them from literally doing the things that I'm even allowing them to participate in. 
but I'm trying to build this wall, this safety of sorts, this this proverbial safety that I really don't even have much control over. And I understand as my daughter's getting a little bit older now, much of what some of the older parents in here probably have long already understood that I can't really even control as much as I wish that I could control. But even a little bit that I can control seems to be going against the very thing that I'm praying and asking God to allow them to be a part of and do. And it dawned on me, in Luke chapter 15, we've got the tax collectors and the sinners on this side of the fence, and we've got, we've got the Pharisees and the Sadducees over here, and Jesus is over there. Jesus and the bad people, the pastors and the teachers of the religious law, the quote-unquote good people over here. And, and, and if I put myself in the story, like I don't, I don't just read the story. I put myself in it, and there's a big difference when you're reading the scriptures, by the way. If I put myself in it, I have to take an honest assessment and be subjective enough to analyze which side of the fence would I choose to jump towards. And if I'm honest, I, I said, I'm more comfortable over here than I ever am over there. And Jesus, realizing that this tension exists when the Pharisees and the teachers of the law begin to mutter to themselves, that this man, he's eating with people that we would never choose to eat with. He tells them this one story that is that's really just three parts. Stories that we're very familiar with. The story of the lost sheep, the story of the lost coin, and the story of the lost son. He begins by saying there's a there's, there's hundred sheep and there's this shepherd and one of the sheep gets away from the shepherd and, and the, the shepherd says, hey, well, 98, 99, where, hey, where, where'd they go? He, he's left. I'm going to leave the 99. I'm going to pursue the one, which we read this story and we think to ourselves, man, that's, that's inspiring. That's, a, that's amazing. That's a beautiful picture of how we ought to, of how we ought to live live our lives, and yet, when you really kind of step back and you think about it for a moment, it seems illogical. I mean, economically, this is foolish. Like, you still got 99, Jesus. Like, what are you sweating the one for? Like, if you've got 100 and I've got 99, I'm not really sweating you. Like, we're kind of on the same page here. Like, just let the one go. Why would you leave 99 in pursuit of one? And yet, what Jesus is not saying in this story is that 99 is less than 100, or 100 is more than 99, and therefore you got to go after the one. No, what he's saying is, look, the good shepherd left that which was most comfortable to pursue that which was the most uncomfortable. He left that which, which, which he was the most familiar with. He, he left those who, who socially thought on the same level as him, who spiritually believed the same things as him, who racially looked the same way as him, who politically voted the same, the same party as him. He left what was most uncomfortable in pursuit of that which was the most uncomfortable. He finds the lost sheep. He, he calls up his friends. He says, hey, hey, fellas, hey, I found him. Hey, you got to come over to my house tonight. We're going to throw a party because that sheep that was lost, hey, guess what? I sought him out and I found him. 
he goes on without hesitation. He says, there's this, there's this woman. She's got ten coins. She loses one of the coins. And she just begins to tear her whole house apart. She says, where is this one loss of coin? My goodness. I checked in the dryer. It is not there. I checked in the washing machine. It is not there. I'm tearing apart furniture. I'm looking behind, uh, behind pictures. Like, where is her whole house is in disarray? Eventually, she finds that one lost coin. She still calls all of her friends. She says, hey, you would never believe it. I found that one lost coin. You got to come over to my house tonight because we're going to throw a party in my home. Now, just newsflash, by the way, that party would have costed way more than that one lost coin. He, he just goes on. He says, hey, there's this, there's, this, there's this son. He goes to his father. And he says, dad, I need my inheritance early. The father agrees to it. I don't know why, but the father agrees to it. The man goes off in Vegas, lives frivolously, lives immorally, spends everything that he has doing everything that his father never would have wanted him to do. Eventually, the son begins to work for this man, feeding this man's pigs. He's a slave of sorts. He's got no more money that he begins to actually eat the same food that he's feeding to the pigs, it dawns on him. My dad's servants, his hired hands, they eat way better than what I'm eating up in here. I need to go back to my dad. I need to apologize. I need to tuck my tail between my legs and say, Dad, I'm sorry. Let me work for you. Please just let me work for you. He comes up over the hill to which his dad is waiting for him. His dad sees him in a distance, runs up to his son, hugs him, embraces him, which his son is expecting to be disciplined. The dad says nothing of the wrongdoing that the son participated in, looks back at his home and says, man, you got to get the best DJ. You got to get those bouncy houses out of the storage. We're going to throw a party up in here tonight. And what's interesting is that all three of these stories, they end with a party in a home. Jesus is He's trying to tell us something. Everyone is welcome in my home. You know what the home, you know what the home represents in this story, right? The New Testament home, whenever you see it referred to, it's, it's always in reference to, to the church, to the house, quote unquote, of God. You know what the party is, right? The party is indicative of, of this, the Wednesday night, the Saturday night, the Sunday morning. This is the party. This is the home. You see, there's really four parts. There's a progression of sorts in all three of these stories. There's a commonality. There's a thread that, 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 that goes through these three, these three parts of this one story, rather. First, something is lost. Second, there's a search. Third, something is found. Fourth, there's a party. Have you ever thought, though, for just a moment? <laughs> Sometimes we find ourselves partying for so long that we lose sight of the other three parts of the progression. That we can find ourselves for two years, for five years, for 10 years, for 40 years, still partying. And we leave the party and we leave the home and we completely neglect the other three parts of the story. We focus on the party even as preachers. We love the party. I mean, even as for me as a communicator, I love the parties. Gosh, I, I love the home. I love being in the home. That's only 25% of what Jesus is trying to illustrate that a life following him is supposed to look like. Think for just a moment. 
Something is lost. That word lost literally means displaced, alone, or broken. Do we even any longer recognize what is lost? When we go to Chipotle, do you all have Chipotle? Please have Chipotle. When you go to the coffee shop, when you go out to eat, when you're at work, when you're driving on the road, do you even recognize those who may be lost? My God, when we're walking through the halls of our church, do we even recognize, do we even sense any longer those who may be lost? I mean, I, I like lostness, but I like lostness on my own terms. I like when I can control who I determine is lost. Because I don't like pursuing lost when lost people don't like it when I pursue them. I don't like pursuing lost when lost talks about me behind my back and makes fun of the way that I parent my family and my kids. I, I, I like lostness on my, I like it on my own terms. I like, I like when I can kind of control what I determine to be lost, what I determine to be, nah, they're not so bad. Somebody else will get to them. No, right now, of course, we're coming off of undoubtedly one of the craziest political seasons ever. And we really still find ourselves in probably one of the craziest uh, political seasons ever. We've got all this racial tension going on. We've got all this immigration stuff going on. We've got all of this right wing, left wing. You're either really over here or really over here and oh man it's and, and and so we see things we hear things and you can't even help but get on facebook right now and and just see the 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 idiots and so the um and 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 and, and you hear certain conversations even yeah you know racism doesn't really exist well but but I feel like it does. Well, you shouldn't feel that way any longer. I mean, just, you know, kind of get over it now. Well, but my people group for centuries now has kind of been marginalizing. But, but I mean, come on, man. Like, you got to, when are you going to move on, though? You're always looking to the past. And you got to push forward. But, but, man, you should, you should. But I, I, this is how I feel. Well, you, sh you shouldn't feel that way, though. How, how is it that we are so quick as followers of Jesus Christ to tell people how they ought to feel, and we're so slow to slow down and figure out to understand how they currently feel right now. We ought to be the most compassionate people on the face of the planet, and unfortunately, we have a bad stereotype for being the exact opposite. Compassion literally means to feel the feelings of another. In order to feel the feelings of another, we've actually got to understand one another. I was coming back from an international trip last winter, and as I'm waiting for my bag at the, at the, like the, the baggage carousel thing, I'm, I'm just, it's late at night, and I'm really tired, and eventually I see my bag kind of come out of the, the wall, and, and I'm looking like, is that, my, is that my bag? It's got a big gash literally cut open in the side of it. The corner is completely dented in. I'm like, what? Did, did my bag fall out of the airplane? Like, what, what is going on here? And so the next day, I, I call the airline. They say, you got to go to the airport. You got you to file a claim. And, you know, they'll take, they'll take care of it. They'll figure out if they can repair it. They need to get to replace it, whatever. 
Okay, no worries. So I go to the airport. I'm waiting in line. I, I, I got there after work one day, and, and I just want to get home to my family. Like, I missed my kids. I just wanted to, you know, eat dinner and, and relax and, and hang out at home. And so I'm, I'm kind of irritable already. And I'm waiting in line for about 15 minutes. They were really, really slow, but the, the lady at the desk was even slower than the line was. And, and eventually it's my turn. And, and so she's trying to figure out what, like, what she needs to do and how she needs to process this. About 10 minutes later, she's like, I'm so sorry, sir, but I need to go get my manager. We're about 30 minutes into this thing at this point. I'm like, okay, whatever, go get your manager. He comes out. He begins to work on stuff. The whole system shuts down just turns off. He's like, I, I don't know what happened here, but it just shut down. I'm like, I'm about to shut you down. And, and, and I'm like, okay, well, what do you need to do? I need to reboot the whole thing. Well, how long is that gonna take? It could take 20 minutes or so. Okay, listen to me. I, this isn't my normal MO, sir, but, um, but your customer service today has been horrible, atrocious. Out, like, this is, this is unacceptable. Who can I talk to? He says, no, sir, I'm so sorry. You, you are absolutely right. I, I apologize for, for the weight and, and all of the mess that this is creating for you. I, I understand it. And here's the thing is we just yesterday had an employee. He was out on the tarmac, and he, he slipped, and he fell on ice, and he, and he fell back on his head. We sent him home. He went to bed, and he never woke up. I thought, oh my gosh, I am, I am so sorry. I said, can I please speak to the girl that I was just talking to a few moments ago? I need to apologize. And it was in that moment on my way home where I'm just asking God for forgiveness. I said, God, that's, that's, not, that's not who I want to be. Why are we so slow? To ask questions and so quick to make assumptions. So something is lost, and there's a there's a search. That word search literally means seek, go, and extend. And as I was studying this out a few months back, I'm reading the definition for, for search, to seek, go, and extend, and it, it dawned on me that the operative words of my life are really to sit, to stay and to listen. I, I love being a part of the party. I love to sit, to stay, and just to listen. I love hearing good messages on love and mercy and grace and compassion. I love studying it out. I love teaching it. But my gosh, it is messy when you start to actually apply it. What are the operative words of your life? Sit, stay, and listen? or seek, go, and extend. You know, church, believers, we are in an interesting day, to say the least, an interesting season, maybe age, who knows how long all of what's going on will continue to exist within our nation and even beyond, but it is becoming more and more apparent to me as I read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I look at the state of everything that's going on around us, and I look at the division that's even happening within the body of Christ, and I have uh, maybe a, somewhat of a unique opportunity at times to, to speak to people from all different walks of life and all different communities and backgrounds and states and, and, and all over the place, and, and the more and more that I speak to people, the more and more I realize that there is a seriously unhealthy divide and that we have more people who are wanting to give their opinions 
And so few people who are willing to take time to sit and listen. Any system that rejects any marginalized group of people is a system that Jesus continually rejected. Following Jesus means that we must do the same. And I'm not speaking politically because my pastor has taught me that we don't use the platform to speak on political things. We use the platform to speak on Jesus. But just so happens to be that Jesus spoke to and for and even fought for those who are the most marginalized, those who are the least welcome, those who are the least accepted. And yet sometimes in our own lives, we try to build walls of safety and walls of convenience and walls that exclude others. But this could be the very thing that is keeping us from looking more and more like Jesus. And I'm for safety. And I even believe that our, our, our government is mandated and commissioned by the people of this nation to provide safety. So I'm not referring to anything there, but what I am referring is to our own lives and what we have responsibility for and what we must be good stewards of. Do we create walls? Do I create walls for my family that Jesus is trying to consistently tear down? I oftentimes wonder if the very things that I'm doing and the systems that I'm creating and the habits that I'm forming in my children, that Jesus isn't trying to tear down himself. The third thing, there's a search and then something is found. Somebody wants to come help me close out on keys. That would be amazing. It'd make me sound a lot more spiritual too. What was lost is found. This word found means apart or connected. Believers, do you remember the first time that you became a part of this family? You became connected in the feeling that that connected, that connectedness brought into your life. Remember the first time that you came to the party, that you stepped into this, into this home? Let us not be quick to forget that other people need to experience that same type of feeling. That we must have empathy first and opinions Second, and the fourth thing is, there's a party. This word party means to freely celebrate with others. <laughs> this is the party. This is where we celebrate together. This is where, in a sense, we get renewed, where we get refreshed, where we get filled up. And then we leave this party, and we go out Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, and we take the party into the rest of our world, into the rest of our, the rest of our lives. As I look through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, as I read specifically the 15th chapter of Luke, I, I have to ask myself, do the constructs of my life, do they look like the things that Jesus consistently valued? Do the constructs of my family, do they, do they look like the behaviors and the systems and the habits that Jesus regularly displayed and his behavior was in connection and in conjunction with? I have to say, a lot of times, a lot of times they don't. You know, Paul in 
1 Corinthians chapter 11, he, he made a, a pretty bold statement. He said, hey, hey, Corinthian church, hey, hey, follow me as I follow Jesus, which seems like a, a pretty bold thing to say. So Paul, we're just supposed to look at you and kind of do what you do, think the way you think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Follow me and I'll point you to Jesus. And, and Paul demonstrated this more appropriately than probably anybody else did. In fact, in Acts chapter 19, we, we see Paul establishing the, the church at Ephesus. I want to close with this, this final thought, this final illustration, this final story. We see Paul establishing this church at Ephesus, which was probably about the third most influential city in all of the known world at that time behind Jerusalem and Antioch. And, and Paul had been there for about two to three years at this point. And so he had seen some success within that, that region. Ephesus is a major port city within the Mediterranean Rim. And, and we had, there's ships coming in and out of this city all day long. And, and in fact, Ephesus was not only just influential within the church by the time Paul had established, had established the church there, but it was really just influential even just within culture and, and art and trade and, and really everything. See, Ephesus was widely known across that region to be the central location where you would go to worship the goddess of Artemis. Artemis was a, a sensual god. He, she was uh, um, uh, the most sensual of them all. Keep it PG in here. You understand what I'm saying? There was a tunnel that literally led from the port in the bay there at Ephesus all the way to the temple of Artemis. And sailors could come and go as they pleased with nobody seeing them and could participate in the, more, in the immoral acts that were, that were happening underground that temple there at, at Artemis. And, and see, uh, there's, some, there's some silversmiths and some blacksmiths who, who made a living off of building little goddesses that represented him and looked like this, this Artemis, this Artemis goddess. Now, the more that Paul preached Jesus, the less that these silversmiths and blacksmiths were, were able to make some money off of, their, off of their trade. And so they got upset, naturally, they're losing some money, and so they kind of rallied together, and the, the main leader, Demetrius, says, hey, hey, fellas, if we don't stop this preaching of Paul, we're gonna be, we're gonna be out of money here soon, we're gonna be out of business here soon. So they devised this plan to kind of begin to worship Artemis all across this city and, and really make her name famous Again, so they begin to form this riot and begin to chant over and over, great is Artemis, goddess of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis, goddess of the Ephesians. And scholars say that for hours and hours, the riot grows larger and larger. And eventually, we throw that picture up there, they find themselves filling this theater, this stadium at Ephesus as they walk down this long road that led out to the bay. They begin to fill this theater with 15 to 20,000 people chanting, great is Artemis, goddess of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis, goddess of the Ephesians. And Paul is watching this whole thing happen, hearing this chant, contemplating what is going on and what's my reaction going to be to it. 
And in verse 30 of Acts 19, it says that Paul wanted to go in there. Now, what would possess a man to want to go into a theater full of people who looked nothing like him, who believed nothing the same as him, who socially thought on a completely different level as him? I'll tell you what, church. It's Jesus. See, if the Jesus that we're following is always leading us to people who look just like us, think just like us, behave just like us, believe the same things as us, vote the same way as us, I, I don't think that we're following the right Jesus. Because the Jesus of the Gospels was constantly going against the social norms of the day was constantly creating discomfort, was constantly putting people in positions where they were forced to wrestle with the tensions of searching for the lost and throwing a party. Church, it's dawning on me that I want my family to be the light of the world. I want our church to be the light of our community. I want my, my own life to be the light of my work. I want my daughter's life to be the light of her school. But, but light, come on, it's only effective, it's only influential if it finds itself in dark places. Otherwise, what is this light for? Do we just hide it under the basket that we refer to right now as this home? Or do we take this light, do we go, and we see and we sense and we, and we feel the pain of those who are lost. Do we even feel the pain of those who are lost who may be seated all around us right now that we are willing to embark on a journey that gets us out of our comfort zone that says, I know it seems illogical to leave the 99 and to go in pursuit of the one who is different and looks different and speaks different and acts different. But I just sense that that's where the Lord is leading me right now. If we only find ourselves resting in complacency on this side of the fence, church, we need to get on our knees and say, Jesus, would you please give me compassion? Jesus. I want to be the light of the world. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment? Would you just make this moment between you and God? And would you, would you ask, say, Holy Spirit, what would you have me do with what I just heard? Holy Spirit, what would you have me do with what I just heard. Jesus. Continue with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. If you're in this place tonight and you'd say, Jordan, I don't, I don't know Jesus. I don't know him personally. I'm not a Christian. I'm not a follower of Jesus, but I, but I want to know him. I want to come into a relationship with this, with this Jesus who loves unconditionally, who's been pursuing me all of my life. And you can kind of even sense on the inside 
right now that he's beginning to stir something. There's this discomfort. There's this, this feeling of angst, so to speak. That's, that's Jesus. That's his spirit saying, this is for you. You want to come into a relationship with him tonight, whether it be for the first time or you need to recommit, give your life back to Jesus. You're saying, Jordan, I, I've sinned. I've made mistakes that have separated me from him. And I want to know, I want to know that I know that I have a firm, solid relationship with him. I'm going to count to three. When I get to three, I want you to shoot your hand up real high. There's nobody looking around because this moment is between you and God. One, tonight's your night. Don't allow this moment, this evening to pass you by. Two, Jesus loves you. He proved it when he came. He sought you out and he chose to die for you on your behalf so that you could have an eternal relationship with our Heavenly Father. Three, shoot your hand up real high. You say, I need to come back into a relationship with him. I need to give my life to him. Thank you for your hand. Thank you, I see that. Anybody else want to join our friends? Anyone else? Thank you for that hand. We're going to pray tonight. We're going to pray out loud. If you raise your hand, you're praying this prayer to God. But church, we're going to pray this together. Everyone repeat after me. Say, Heavenly Father, I thank you for your son, Jesus. I believe that he died for me so that I could be forgiven of all of my sins, all my mistakes. And on this night, I call upon the name of Jesus. My life will never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hey, if you prayed that prayer, um, I believe in just a moment, Ryan will kind of give you some instructions on on what to do next. But man, I'm so proud of you for praying that prayer. And, and it's the best decision you've ever made, whether it's the first time or, or it's the 99th time. It's the best decision you've ever made. Believers, I just, I just want to say thank you so much for allowing me to be here. I hope that we all live on this journey together to become more like Jesus and understand that we're not on this journey isolated, but rather we hold each other accountable. And we stay surrounded by people who, who are okay with that tension, the tension of raising our kids in safety while praying that our kids will be the light and the agents of change in their world. And we'll be sensitive to God in every step of the way. And that God, through the power of his spirit, will continue to transform us every single day into the image of his dear son, Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for allowing me. Thank you for listening to the BC Podcast. Follow us at A City Connected on Twitter and Instagram to stay updated, inspired, and encouraged.